has to get your uh, blood pumping a little bit before we get in the word here. Man, that was awesome. <laughs> Whew, my heart's still racing a little bit, so give me a little bit of time. I should drink some water real quick. <laughs> ah, well, as we wind down, not in what we're doing right now, but as we wind down in our last few studies before we finish our series of Christ Revealed and the Book of Revelation, I want to remind you that this book that we've been in for probably a year and a half, for a while now, um, back in chapter 1, verse 3, this book is a book with a promise. And it says in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Revelation, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. What a, what a promise. That we are blessed if we read it, hear it, and do the things because the time is near. Now I know that this book was written about 2,000 years ago and they saw all, all this as being right around the corner as, as, as John had written this book, seen this vision, wrote, wrote it all down, handed these to the seven churches. They saw that the end was near, that was round, right around the corner. And guess what? Today we're a lot closer than when John wrote this book. The end is near. We're right, right around the corner from, from God coming back for his church and then starting this whole thing that we've been studying about uh, in the book of Revelation. And so if you're not there already, turn to Revelation chapter 21. Last week we covered the first eight verses and we will cover, uh, well, we were, we're going to do the rest of the chapter. But I'm going to read, yes. <laughs> um, yes, I am going to do the rest of the chapter. Um, and so I want to read from verse 1. I will take it to verse 17 and then I'll read from 18 to the end a little later. So bear with me here. Follow along. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, 
abominable, uh, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God and having the glory of God and her light was like the most precious stone, like, jasp like, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length, is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, the measure of an angel. Father, as we've read your word right now, please bless it. Help me to teach it with clarity and understanding. And I pray that my brothers and sisters, Lord, and maybe even those who may not know you this morning that are here, would be able to, to have their ears opened to hear what you want to minister to them about, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go back to our text, or where we're going to begin in verse 9, once again, we see one of the seven angels from the seven last plagues. These angels seem, seem to, to linger around after the destruction and the judgment that was brought upon the earth, that last judgment, the seven last judgments, the bowls that were poured out. Those angels, we don't hear about the other, the other two sets, but this set of angels, they lingered, they hung around. Now, angels are, were, are and were created to do God's bidding. Some just do specific jobs. And it seems that others can multitask. <laughs> They're called upon to do certain things, other things, here, there, everywhere, however they're, they're called, but they are ready to do th things. And these seven last angels have not only delivered judgment... But we've seen how they've also, or at least one or maybe two, have shown John around, have taken him in the Spirit to go do things. 
Now, I want to read to you, or let me read to you verses 9 and 10 over again. And then from there, I want to go back to chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, so that we can see some similarities in these two verses with uh, Revelation 17, I mean, um, if I didn't say it correctly. Chapter 17, there's some similarities and a contrast, or a great contrast there. So it says once again in verses 9 and 10, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So now we go back a few chapters and I want to read to you verses 1 through 6 where it says in, verse seven, or in chapter 17, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk by the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a, a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness or filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Babylon, or mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the wine or with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I was, I marveled and was greatly amazed. The similarities that we see in this, in these two portions of scripture were that this one angel, he, he was part of the seven angels, which is, could have been the same one or could have been two different ones, but it's the same group, the same set. And out of the same set of angels, they came and they talked with John. They told him to come. And then they showed him something or someone. And both times he was carried away in the spirit. Now the contrast is that... He, he he is taking them in the first in the in, in chapter seventeen, he takes him to see the scarlet, the harlot, not the scarlet, the harlot. <laughs> the prostitute. Okay. On this one though, he goes and shows him a bride, one who has made herself ready for her husband. The first time he, he takes him into the wilderness. This time he takes him onto a high mountain. And the description of the two is total contrast. As you, as you see how he describes this harlot 
and her fornication and how she has been committing fornication forever, it seems like, with the nations of the world. Whereas the contrast over here that we've learned about the bride is that she has saved herself. She is pure. This angel tells John to come and he will show him the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, notice the fact that the bride is now referred to here as the lamb's wife. The word wife refers to a married woman. The fact that the marriage has now been consummated, if you will, thus making this marriage complete because the two have become one in this paradise in this, in this amazing place. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of when Jesus was praying to His Father in John chapter 17, that He says, Father, make them one as we are one. And there was that desire because it would become the church, His bride. And He says, we want to be one. I want to be one with them. Just like we are one, Father, that we would be one. And this now is the place where that consummation takes place, that we are now His wife, not just the bride, but His wife. The two have become one. I had the privilege a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago, to go to a a luncheon of a couple that were celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary. Whoa, right? And the husband referred to his wife as his bride. He said something about his bride, and I just thought, oh my goodness, that is so amazing. It's so cute (laughs) to see this older couple still have that kind of understanding. He says, this is my my, my bride. Now, I know that we can, and we do, those of us who are married, we often refer to our wives as our brides. But they were the bride on the wedding day. Once the wedding day was over, basically, and the consummation of that marriage took place, now they take on a role of a wife. Now they are one. <laughs> I often say that in, mar- in, in weddings, when I perform weddings, you know, during the ceremony, that by the time we're done, the two shall become one flesh. And it sounds so cute, but I kind of lie a little bit there. Because they truly don't become one flesh until they consummate the marriage. That's when God sees them as one flesh. Oh, I could say it, but God sees it when they consummate the marriage. And so what we see here is finally the bride of Christ, us, the church, have been married, finally. Remember the marriage supper of the Lamb that we covered a while back? And they came together. You know, the big party that happened. Well, it was right after that that now... She is referred to as the wife. You see, after the wedding, the bride becomes the wife forever. And this, here we see the the lamb's wife, and we will be his wife forever and ever. The interesting thing here is that the angel takes John to see the bride, the lamb's wife. And yet he shows him a city 
which is the holy city, Jerusalem, that we looked at last week, the new Jerusalem. Now, going back again, and we won't go there, but just kind of referring back to Revelation chapter 17, John told us that Babylon was a harlot. That, there, that, that this entity, Babylon, was a harlot. Because she, or it, was known for the wickedness that she, it, did. And for the people that were in it. Here it seems like the same thing, but the angel tells John that this new Jerusalem, the bride, if you will, This new Jerusalem is the bride because she, it, is known for her or its righteousness and for the people that are in it. Some have had a hard time with this new Jerusalem, trying to figure out if it's a literal place or is it just a symbolic place because it's called the bride and yet it's called the city. And most do believe that the New Jerusalem is and will be a literal place. But it is called the bride or the Lamb's wife because it is the place where God's people, the church, will be gathered together. Those who have a hard time with it seem to quite not understand how, 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 it all, how it's all going to work. They, they, they can't understand this whole dimension thing. They, they, they seem to have a hard time. How is it going to be that it's going to be square, cube, whatever it is, but it's going to be suspended or it's going to be hovering? How is that possible between the new heaven and the new earth? But as I was looking at this, I read a lot of these commentaries and I'm thinking... Well, that's kind of what happens now with the planets and the moon and the stars right now. They're just kind of suspended. So I don't see no big deal here. <laughs> the fact that the lamb's wife takes on the form of a city or that the city takes on the form of a lamb's wife, I, it really doesn't bother me. And even though I might not totally understand it or comprehend it all, how it will work or how it will look, it doesn't change my thinking in the fact that I just want to be there. I just want to be a part of that whole thing. Those who do a lot more research than I can ever and study way more than I could ever under or study, try and grasp it all, you know. And they can go on with their bad selves and, and study and research as much as they possibly can. But in my simple belief, <laughs> in just reading the scriptures and taking its word for it, and because I only have a brain side of a pea, basically, <laughs> I'm okay with it. I, I, I am okay understanding that this is way beyond my understanding. That I don't have to understand it all exactly how it's going to work. I don't have to get to a point it's like, oh, now I finally get it. I finally have understood how this whole thing is going to work. I, I do understand that God himself, it tells us here, 
will be there with us. I do understand that, that we will be there with His glory. So to me, I don't care how the dimensions might look or how it might take shape. If God is going to be there, it's good enough for me. I want to be there with God. I, I believe this will be the most beautiful thing we have ever laid our eyes on. I, I, I truly believe that, that I don't have to understand it because as we've been going through the book of Revelation, there has been so many things that were just so out there that you're going, I don't get it. But I totally understand that it will be a, a, a different dimension, something that we as humans have not really laid our eyes on. And what John gets to see being a human and being caught up in the Spirit and watching this whole thing unfold, he is trying to write down things that he understands with his brain up here, going, okay, it looks like this, it looks like that. And so he tries to bring it down to our understanding, but I think it's far beyond that. But I'm glad that he tried to explain it to us here. Look at how verse 11 describes it. After saying that we will have God's glory, it says, Her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Her, her light or her brightness was like these things. Again, after seeing heaven for the first time in, John chapter, or in Revelation chapter 4, John seeing the throne of God and all the brilliance and all the colors and all that was around it that he was just blown away. And we read it last week in chapter 4 that he's going, whoa, look at this. Look at what's around there. Look at he who sits on the throne and he's going, he's saying all these things. Whatever he saw at this moment was right up there with that. However it is, with the glory of God there, the brightness, the brilliance. It was so amazing. He says it looked like a jasper stone. Now, I don't know what a jasper stone is. You can look it up, and even some of the commentaries are going, well, it's, it's this color, blah, blah. But some of them believe that it was a diamond because diamonds were so rare back then because of, of their, 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 what would we say, clarity, their translucence, you know? I don't know, I didn't. I don't have a diamond. I think it's a cubic zirconium that my wife has, so I don't know. Um, I'm kidding. As a diamond only reflects light. <laughs> because it possesses no light of its own. So too, as we're looking at this place that, that, that's just so brilliant. It's the glory of God that's there that's just beaming. However, whatever the stone looks like or whatever it is, is just beaming and so to us. The Lamb's wife reflects the glory of God there. And today, as the bride of Christ that we are, we are to reflect the light of Jesus because He came to be the light of the world and so again in this portion that we're looking at we can only reflect 
the brilliance of who God is. In verses 12 through 14, it talks about this great wall. The 12 gates, the 12 angels, the names that were on there, uh, the, the, the gates that were in different directions, three on each side. talks about all these things. Now this wall is not for defense <laughs> because there is no more enemy. We saw that a few weeks ago. And there will never be any more enemies. It's great and it's high to give its city, its parameter, its border, its outer limits to show us what we have. I, I believe that it is to show us, the readers today, that some will be excluded from this city. And only those who have followed that straight and narrow path will be the ones that enter into the city. But trip out what he kind of shows us here in verses 12 and 14, where, where, where we see both, you know, this, the Old Testament and the New Testament put together, almost, almost as a memorial to the Old Testament and the New Testament, because the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are written on the gates. And the names of the apostles, the 12 apostles, are on the, on the foundation, the 12 foundations that hold up the wall of the city. Again, I don't have time to say, well, which, which patriarchs will be there because sometimes they're, they're changed around. Which of the apostles, since Judas committed suicide and there was Matthias, and then what about Paul? So I don't know, except that there's 12 and 12. And I think we're going to be okay with whatever names are on there. But both the Old Testament and the New Testament are, are, are represented in this holy city, Jerusalem. You see, it was the Old Testament saints that opened the gate for the New Testament saints to lay the foundation for those who would be saved, for those who would make up the church, the bride of Christ, who will one day, be the Lamb's wife. Now notice, in these verses, we see the number 12 quite often. In Scripture, the number 12 speaks of government, and Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, told us, or prophesied, that the government will be upon His shoulders. Speaking of Jesus. Also notice, that angels are at the gates not St. Peter. <laughs> so when someone starts telling you a joke about St. Peter at the pearly gates, you know that it's theologically wrong. And you can tell them so. Stop. Theologically, that's not true. Peter is not there. <laughs> you're you're going to be a downer at the party, man. Theologically speaking, you cannot have Peter at the pearly gates. But then again, these people are probably the same people that would call the, this book the book of Revelations. And it's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. See, get that right too, so you can like be theologically correct. And I know some of you will mess with me. It's like, hey, that book of Revelations that you're doing right now, it's like, Stop, Autumn. 
<laughs> now, from here on out, from here, for this portion, you need to bear with me. You need to stay with me. You might want to get a pen and paper out to start writing a lot, but you, you might not be able to keep up with me because I get pretty, pretty intense about this next portion. There's going to be a lot of measuring. There's going to be a lot of numbers. And for maybe those of you guys who like measuring and numbers and building and tearing down and, and doing all that stuff, you'll be going, yeah, preach it, bro. Other you guys, some of you guys are going to be going, stop, stop, my head's going to explode. But it's an amazing portion of Scripture for me because I love doing numbers like this. So it begins in verse 15 through 17 to tell us the, the, the dimensions of this new Jerusalem. It, it begins to tell us that it's a square and its length and it's, uh, it's great and, and its breadth and the measurements of, of this whole thing are 1,200 furlongs and, and, and the, 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 the length, the breadth, and the height are equal. So it's a cube, right? It's interesting because, again, going back to chapter 11, John was given a reed and he was to measure the temple of God. The physical temple, the millennial temple, he was to measure it out. And he was given instructions. Here we have this angel. He has a, a gold reed or a measuring reed to measure. And he is to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. Now, this kind of reed, it's probably about 10 foot long or 10 feet long. Kind of like a pole that you would measure. The English measurement for a furlong is 660 feet. Now, a lot of us up here have square two and a half acre lots. A square two and a half acre lot normally is 330 feet by 330 feet. Now, if you added another two and, square two and a half acre lot to your property, you would have three and a half or three, 330 330 feet by 660 feet, right? I just want to give you an idea of all these measurements. So one furlong, if you had a five-acre parcel that are both square, that now you know what a furlong is, right? So 660 feet times 12,000 furlongs adds up to... 7,920,000 feet. What? Which adds up exactly to 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles. So this city is 1,500 miles that way by 1,500 this way by 1,500 that way. It's a cube. It's a complete cube. Now, well, the interesting thing about this, this whole cube thing, on Thursday night, we're going through second or th through first uh, uh, kings. And King Solomon, as he is building the temple, measuring out the, the most holy place or the holies of holies, where God's glory shines or dwells, is 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. A complete square. But that's not to say that God's a square. He just likes squares. 
1,500 miles times 1,500 miles is 2,250,000 square miles. That's a lot of square miles. Just to give you an idea what a square mile is, one square mile is from Phelan Road to Smoke Tree Road, from Johnson Road to, to Sheep Creek Road. That is one square mile. Six square miles is from Phelan Road all the way to Highway 18, and then Johnson. That's six square miles. Twelve square, I could keep on going. Twelve square miles is at Beakley all the way down. That's 12 square miles. That's a lot of property, right? Don't you wish you had all that property? Now, to show you what one square mile looks like in feet, in square feet, it's 27,878,400,000 square miles. 27 million. Let's just round it up. 20, 27 million square feet in one square mile. The fellowship hall back here, I've measured it out before. It's 1,200 square feet, okay? I should have measured this one. The other day I was measuring in here for Thursday night study. And my receptionist is going, what are you doing? It's like preaching? No, I'm measuring. Anyways, it's 1,200 square feet back there, okay? We can fit 600 people in that fellowship hall if we wanted to. We're not going to try it today. <laughs> but if you don't want to touch each other, we could fit 300 people comfortably, fairly comfortably in that room. Just to give you an idea how many people can fit in the square, square feet type places, right? So, this 150, this 1,500 by 1,500, which adds up to 2.2, basically, million square miles, would take up about two-thirds of the United States. Just to give you... If we had to, <laughs> I'm just saying, if, we, if it was necessary, all the world's population, 7.5 billion people can fit comfortably without touching one another a family of four in a 1,200-square-foot dwelling in the state of Texas, which happens to be about 268, 581 square miles. You're going, come on. Really? It's like, I don't know if you guys have ever flown over, fly over country and how much land there is. Everybody could fit in the state of Texas if you really had to. We won't. You might not have all the parks and all the animals and all that stuff, but be that as it may. Just to give you an idea how big this place is that he's talking about. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles is the New Jerusalem. And then he is told to measure the city, or he gives us a measurement of the city. A cubit is, is about 18 inches long, and it's usually... Um, Measured by the joint of your elbow to the middle finger, minus 16 inches, um, shorter. So you know that a cubit kind of varies, but for the most part, it, this is a cubit right there. <laughs> I 
144 cubits turns out to be 216 feet high. Now, that's a pretty impressive wall. 216 feet in any normal city, that would be an amazing, amazing wall. Because, again, you're talking about the height. But compared to 100, uh, uh, 1,500 miles, it's not much of a wall. It's like... But again, it's just an amazing wall. But think about this. This wall will go 1,500, 1,500, that's 60,000 miles all the way around this. Now, I I don't know who's going to build it or who's going to pay for it. (laughs) But it's going to be great. Believe me, it will be great. It will be a great wall. Believe me. So is there enough room? Will there be enough room in this new Jerusalem for everybody whose name is written in the book of life? Absolutely. And there's still room for you if you're not a Christian yet. There's still room for you to be in this amazing place. When you get there, you're going, oh yeah, Zeke explained it to me. I know exactly what it looks like. And I think that's why he gives us all this stuff so that when we get to there, we're not going, what? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I knew it was going to be a little different. Didn't know this different, but it's going to be different. It's okay, I'm cool. It's like I belong here. Verse 18 to the last, to the end of the chapter here. I know some of you guys are just stop. Verse 18. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second um, sapphire, the third chalcedon. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The fifth, sardius. The seventh, (laughs) chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. Luckily, we have some names, some streets that are called that. The other ones we should, so I can get used to them. Verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But there was no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut all the day, all at all by day. There shall be no night there. 
and they shall bring the glory and honor and the honor of the nations to it. But there shall be, or but there shall by no means enter in it, enter it, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, the construction of the wall, I'm not going to get into all of that, was of jasper, though. And again, most believe that the jasper was a diamond or something like that. But it was the glory of God shining. Its brightness and its brilliance goes in all directions. It says that the city was pure gold. Again, going back to the construction of, of the holies of holies, the holy of holies, Everything inside of it was, was overlaid with pure gold that, that was so radiant when the, when the Shekinah glory of God came into it, it just shined brightly. Again, almost like crystal glass. And the same can be said about the New Jerusalem. The foundations of the wall, again, they have all these different stones and, and, and there might be significance and meanings to each one of the foundations of, of, and, and these precious stones that are associated with each foundation. But then again, it could have just been that God just needed gravel and he used these precious stones that we think are so precious. He says, oh, I got to make some cement. Give me all that topaz. Give me all that whatever. In verse 21, it says that the gates were, were pearl with 12 pearls. And this is where we get the famous pearly gates from. And yet, we're not told how much they measured, even though the angel was told to measure it, to measure the gates. So I'm sure after it was written, it's like, ah, oh, I forgot to put that in there. But be that as it may, even if we just had the size, a pearl, the size of a normal gate. <laughs> that would be a pretty big oyster. And if you found that pearl, the world would be your oyster. Huh. <laughs> Anyways, the fact is that a pearl speaks a, of beauty that is born out of pain. The beauty of a pearl comes from the, the pain of an oyster because it begins to form when a tiny grain of sand gets into the oyster's shell, causing this oyster uh, irritation and, and, and it becomes uncomfortable. So what happens is this oyster, to relieve the pain, this irritation, it begins to create this stuff and I didn't, couldn't pronounce it, so I didn't write it down. The stuff that, that begins to form over this thing and it begins to harden. And it makes it into a beautiful, glowing pearl. Interestingly enough, oysters and its species are biblically unclean to the Jewish people. But not so much pearls. The buying or selling of pearls. Which is interesting because we have the parable of the pearl of great price that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 13, 
verses 45 and 46, it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went, sold all that he had and bought it. The pearl that Jesus bought for a great price that he bought with his own life were those who are redeemed. Those who have emerged as this beautiful pearl out of the pain and suffering that Jesus went through. That's us. We're that great pearl of great price. These gates will stand open in the new Jerusalem as a testimony that from something unclean came something beautiful. And from the pain to salvation. They will, stand as, they will stay open for those who have received Christ. It will be a memorial, basically, a testimony of our salvation. And it says, And the street of the city was pure gold. And notice that it's a street, not streets of gold. Again, get your theology right. Now, I don't, I don't mean to burst your bubble. It's like, oh, but as I was thinking that time, yeah, it would just be our luck. The believers in feeling will still get dirt roads up there. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll, take, I'll, I'll, I'll take silver. I'll take silver. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever it is, just pay the thing. <laughs> however it ends up, however it ends up. Maybe it's a, the, the road, uh, the street. It's just one street. It all leads to Jesus. It will all lead to Jesus. So however it ends up, <laughs> it will be like transparent gold or transparent glass. And I don't think that we're going to mind a bit once we're there. And so at the end here, it says that there was no temple. It's interesting because today as believers, it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit because He dwells in and upon us. And the Holy Spirit will be there because it tells us in John chapter 14, verse 16, that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever, even there. But in the new Jerusalem, there will be no need for a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb will encompass everything and we will be one with Him as His wife. Everything will be clear and transparent there, just the way He's always wanted it to be from the garden that we would be transparent and clear. No shame, ever. And so this last verse, verse 27, where, where it talks about, and there shall by no means enter anything that is defiled or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I, I, I believe that this, this verse here, especially, but all of this, is not to remind us what won't be there. It's, it's, it's to remind us today, those of us who are reading the book today, of the decision that has to be made while there's still time to make a decision. You see, God is so good. He showed us how all of this will end. And nobody will have an excuse, especially if they had heard the gospel at one point in their life. There will be no excuse. He says, I told you how it would end. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much once again for your faithfulness, Lord.
for just reminding us of, of who you are in your greatness, Lord. Father, we're just so uh, in awe of all the things that you show us in your word. That again, Lord, as I was sharing last week, you could have finished at the last chapter, but you didn't, Lord. You decided and desired for us to see what we have to look forward to. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that one day we will be in your presence and we will be complete as your wife. And we thank you for that. Lord God, I do want to pray that if there's any here in this room right now who have never accepted you, Lord God, that today they would understand that you're giving them that chance once again. And maybe those who are here who have who have been backslidden so far away that they can't even call themselves Christians right now. Father, I pray that those you would draw in right now, that they would ask for forgiveness and that they would be drawn into your presence, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would not only be with them but come into them. And if that's you here that's, that's here this morning and you need Jesus, and, and again, maybe you have felt so far away or maybe you've never accepted them. Just slip your hand up right where you're at so I can see it. just want to pray for you. just want to pray God, that, that God would just remind you of the, the privilege that you have today. Anyone? Thank you, Father. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be called your children, Lord. That you have written our name in the book of life, in the Jesus. Lamb's book of life. And that one day, Lord God, we won't be a stranger to any of this. You have revealed it to us. Blessed be your name, for you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we...